For anyone who's ever served in the military service, you will recognize this manual, Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's affectionately known by our armed forces people as the UCMJ. You see, the UCMJ puts controls on the behavior and the activity of all those who serve. In fact, it raises the standard for their behavior. You can go ahead, Zach, put it up there. It raises their standard of behavior. They are indeed bound by the law of the land, but the UCMJ raises the stakes a little bit. I mean, think about this. Let me just kind of run around this so you see what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard of anybody ever being arrested for conduct unbecoming a citizen? (laughs) You won't hear it. However, you can be arrested, court-martialed, and even dismissed from the service for conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. It's not necessarily criminal. It's just behavior that brings reproach on the military and on the government. They take it very seriously. I'll give you some thoughts. You can be... You can be brought up on charges for public drunkenness, for vile language in public. If you don't show up for work and you call in sick and you're not sick, you can be dishonorably discharged and even incarcerated, depending on the time it is for the country. Additionally, besides UCMJ, these soldiers also have the COC, the Code of Conduct. You see, the truth is the military is serious about you acting like an officer, a gentleman, and a patriot. And beyond this, in order to get in the military, you have to pass some tests. I don't know all the tests. I'm just, I spent 20 years around military bases ministering to to our military personnel. I don't know all the tests, but I do know you have to pass an aptitude test. I know you have to pass a health test. Some of you know this better than I because you served. But once you pass those tests, been accepted and sworn in, here's what you better do. You better know what the UCMJ says, and you better know what that COC says, because what you don't know can hurt you. In the same way, the UCMJ and the COC controls the life and raises the standard of life of our soldiers, the Bible controls the life and raises the life and the lifestyle of believers. The Bible speaks to us in words that we should understand if we're his believer. Three years ago, as I've already mentioned, we we visited uh, our core beliefs, number one being the Bible is our guidebook. Would you say that with me? The Bible is our guidebook. Put it up there. Core belief number one. Let's read it. The Bible is our guidebook. Now, three years ago, I talked to us about why the Bible should be our guidebook. And the answers were found in the, in the message outline. It's because it was inspired by God. It's because it contains information about God. 
And number three, it's because it contains instruction from God. That's the why. Today, I want to move beyond the why to the how. Because you and I need to hear this. Have you gone to sleep yet? Here's, here's why it's important. How? Because until the Bible becomes the guidebook in your life, it'll never become the guidebook for Hueytown Baptist Church. Until the, until the Bible controls every decision we make, every word we speak, how we deal with life, it will not be our guidebook. And today I want to encourage us to make it our guidebook because it speaks to all kinds of things. It speaks to life and love and health and problems and trials and tribulations and difficulties and, and all manner of life, relationships. The list goes on and on and on. So today as we talk about the Bible is our guidebook, you can flip over the back of your bulletin. I want to give you four things that must happen in our lives if indeed the Bible is our guidebook, my guidebook. I put it all in first person because when I point a finger at you, i got four pointing back at me. The first thing I must do if it's going to be my guidebook is I must admit my need to have it. You know, this is a difficult thing. To admit our need. We tend to think that we can get along by ourselves. I've quoted Michael Catt before, but I just love this statement. He says, until people are desperate for God, they will never deal with him on his terms. And until we admit our need of having a guide, you know who we're going to depend on? Me, I know best. Now, all I want to say to all of us is when we know best, we generally wind up in trouble. You see, the Bible was given to us to tell us all the things about our need. First of all, the greatest need anybody has is a relationship with God. You see, when Adam was created, he was created with that personal relationship, walk in the garden in the cool of the day relationship. He was with God. God was with him and they walked. And then one day they made a decision that they knew better than God. At that time, God threw them out of the, out of the garden, as you well know. But watch this. Even at that point, God began a plan. God put in place a plan so that we could be restored. Do you know why we think we know so much? Because Adam and Eve thought they knew so much. Because when God created us in His image, at that moment in the Garden of Eden, our image was shattered, and now we become self-dependent, self-sufficient. And we have decided that we know it all. The Bible will never become my guidebook, and it will never be your guidebook until we admit, man, we don't know it all. It's tough in America because we think we have it. We've had it so much for so long that we, we just feel like we don't need anybody else. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm a self-made man or he's a self-made man? Well, listen, there is nobody self-made, not one. And generally, when we depend on ourselves, we'll wind up in a whole heap of trouble. 
And isn't it funny? We make our decisions, Teddy. We do our thing. We go our way. We wind up in trouble. And we find out up on our knees, God help me. Why did you let this thing happen to me? And the truth is, God gets credit for a lot of things that he never does. When we admit our needs, you know what else we have to admit? We have to admit that we need a relationship with, with God. And the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's what this God book teaches us. And it doesn't just teach us that we come and we pray a prayer. It teaches us that when we come and we place our hearts and our trust in Jesus because the Holy Spirit's begun to work in us, then what happens is that begins a daily relationship. Too many people have so compartmentalized their lives today that the only time that they want Jesus in their life is on Sunday morning in a service. And many times it's as long, uh, Jesus is in my life, Bob, as long as I'm singing songs, I know. As long as the preacher's not stepping on my toes, I can have Jesus. Well, let me just say this to you. Jesus don't, if you were only going to walk with Jesus on Sunday, he's probably not going to walk with you. He wants a walking partner. I must admit my need if the Bible's going to be my guidebook. Secondly, not only must I admit my need, I must accept its authority. Uh-oh. We don't like the word authority today. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. But until the Bible becomes the supreme authority in your life, it will not be your guidebook nor my guidebook. Every decision, word, action, and attitude has to be controlled through His Word. You know what this means? That means we're going to have to cast off some things. That means we're going to have to quit listening to the culture. The culture says to us, well, everybody's doing it. We're going to have to quit listening to our emotions. Well, if it feels good, I can do it. We're going to have to even quit listening to our reason of this culture. Well, it sounds logical. Do you know there's things that sound logical in this culture that are so anti-God, anti-Jesus, and anti-Christianity that it's sick? Oprah says there's got to be more than one way. When I listen, that sounds logical. The only problem is it's inaccurate. We've got to put off that that reason that it sounds logic. There are people, there are things that we're going to have to put aside. Culture, emotion, reason, tradition. Well, we've done it that way for so long. Did you realize that you can do something for a long time and it not be right? And did you realize that if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll be what you've always been? The definition of insanity is doing what you've always done and expecting different results. We even have to put off our ego. I want to take care of me and get me kind of stand out. This trio did such a wonderful job. Hope it's not the last time we hear them. But I will tell you, if any of the three are standing up here, and I know all three of them very well, so I'm not picking on them. If any of the three of them standing up here, or any of the 20, 25 that in the choir loft, 
Anybody that preaches, anybody that sings or plays, if they're doing it for the, for the prestige and the recognition, they're doing it for the wrong thing. You see, the truth is, when we do it for the wrong thing, we have now become the authority in our lives because the Bible still tells us that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. When I think of the authority that the Bible has, I am reminded today that people tell us, well, it's just a book written by a lot of people. <laughs> it's just a book written by man. Well, they are right. Mankind was the instrument to write the book. But look at, look at all the evidence of this book being, of this collection of books bound into one book. Look at what it, the evidence for it being God's Word. There are 66 books in this in this, uh, bound in this Bible. There are over 40 different authors. Now watch this. Those 40 different authors didn't all get together and collaborate because they lived over a span of 1,500 years. And yet all 66 books, all 40 plus authors, pointed to one person in history. And that person is Jesus. You take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now Matthew and John were both disciples. Have you ever sat down and read Matthew and John? They're different as daylight and dark. And then you got Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was a, a physician. He wrote Luke and Acts. And he was a great investigator. And he investigated the, the things around Jesus' life so that he could write them for Theopolis so Theopolis could understand them. He wrote them as a letter to them. It's very detailed. But Mark is a wild card. Mark is a wild card. John Mark is that same person that went off on a, on a mission trip with Paul. He said, oops, it's too bad. I'm going home. And if it had been left up to Paul, John Mark would have never been restored. But Barnabas stepped in and said, no, he's still profitable. I'll restore him. And so when John Mark now is back in ministry, Peter, they think, sit down with, with Mark and begin to relay to John Mark all these things that happened. And that's why if you want a fast-moving fast-paced book in the Bible. It's only about 15, 16 chapters. You go read Mark because Peter was to the point. And God used those people, all of them, to point to Jesus. Additionally, if you want to know how come we can accept the authority, Paul writes that all authority is, in, all authority is given in the Bible and that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, how can you, how can you know that? Folks, this book right here has been under more attack than any book throughout history. And were it not a divine book, divinely inspired, divinely protected, and divinely preserved, it would have long since been gone. But do you know why it's not? We send our kids to school, and our kids go to school, and they read their history books, and they take it for fact what they read in their history books. Do you realize that there is many times more evidence for this book than there are what they read in history? You take um, Roman history. Most of the manuscripts they have in Roman history are a thousand years removed from where they were written. You know what that means? That means our historians have a 
copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And they're very few. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of God's Word dating back, some of them, to as early as early 2nd century. That didn't happen by chance nor by accident. You see, the authority of the Word of God is the fact that it's inspired by Him, written by the hand of man, controlled by the hand of God. If you believe that, how can we not make it our guidebook? I must admit my need. I need some guidance. Do you need some guidance? I must accept his authority. Well, we don't like the word authority in the 21st century, but there's got to be some authority. I don't, don't go out here and make this a political statement, but I don't want Barack Obama being my authority. I want the Bible and my Lord God to be my authority. The third thing is that I can't just accept its authority. I have to assimilate its truth. I have to assimilate its truth. Now, some of you are going to get uncomfortable, some of you deeper spiritual people than I, but I'm going to, I'm going to compare the Bible to a vitamin. First of all, <clears throat> everybody needs vitamins in their, in their system. A, B, D, E. Need some other things, omega-3s and what have you. We found out with Deborah's mom that magnesium and potassium were pretty important because when Miss Boone fell, her magnesium and potassium got so low, she got so weak, she couldn't walk. It doesn't matter what, what vitamin you want to compare it to. Here's what I will tell you. Is that if somebody told you you had a vitamin deficiency, and they said, okay, you need a lot of vitamin C. And so you go to the uh, um, pharmacy or to Walmart, if you want to save a little money, and you buy a jar of vitamin C. And you take it home and you put it on your lavatory in your bathroom. You've got the vitamin C. But it doesn't matter if you put it on the lavatory in your bathroom. It doesn't matter if you put it on the nightstand in your bedroom. It doesn't even matter if you put it in your pill minder. It will do you no good until it works its way in your mouth. Hello? Do you realize that we have Bibles all over our house? But they do no good until we start to assimilate them. Until we start assimilating the words and the principles in our lives day in and day out. Now, how do we do this? I'm going to offer you five ways. And I'll tell you, some of this is not original with me. If you want to know who it is, see me afterward. But I've, I've done a lot of reading, and I believe this is, this is a, an exceptional way. First of all, if I'm going to assimilate its truth, first of all, I must receive it. Receive it. That means I have to take the pill. That means I have to hear it. Now, I, want to, I, I, I know you're going to be offended at this. I don't normally bring my phone in here, but I brought my phone today. Maybe just because I'm egomaniac to tell you that I have an iPhone. You know what I've discovered? Now, I don't have an iPod. I have an iPhone. And here's what I'll say to you. 
I need to hear God's word as much as possible if I'm going to receive it. And whether you have an iPod, an iPhone, a CD player, or whatever, you need, you and I, I'll just tell you, I discovered this this week that I got another way to receive God's word. Is that there's a little deal on here, it's like your iPod, guys. It is, I'm right now, it's queuing up for the Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin Radio. Have you ever seen anybody put together furniture while they were jiving to Chris Tomlin's music? And I will tell you, you may not like Chris Tomlin. That may not be your cup of tea. But whatever it is, what I'm going to tell you, I found this week, I discovered this week, I put my my earphones in. I cranked that up, and I stayed permeated all week long with the Word of God, whether it was preaching, whether it was singing, or whatever. Now, I want to say this to you. We have to receive the Word. We have to hear it. We have to hear it before it's going to take root. And some of you go, well, you know, Brother Jerry, there are other ways. Well, I'm going to just say this to you. You'll remember a lot more of what you hear than a lot of other stuff. And I'm going to just kind of go out on a limb here. You might just replace your TV just 30 minutes a day. Instead of watching TV, listen to something of the Lord. Whether it's music, if it's music, that's fine. Whether it's um, preaching, that's... Oh, Brother Jerry, we go to sleep enough on Sunday morning with your preaching. Well, get you a good preacher on that thing. That's a great deal about today. But you have to receive it. The second thing you must do is read it. Read it. The Bible says you, that, that his word is like a light. It's like a lamp. But you know what the truth is? It will not, his word will not light your path if you don't know what his word is. You have to read it. And I'll go to this deal. Compare in your life today. Compare the number of minutes you spend reading the Bible every day with the number of minutes you spend reading the paper every day. Oh, Brother Jerry, you don't understand. The paper tells us about, about all the activities of the day. And, you know, for most of us, it tells us the obituaries. You know what the truth is? I mean no disrespect, and I mean no unkindness. Those obituaries will be just as fresh later on tonight as they will today. We need to spend some time in God's Word reading it, understanding what it says. We need not only to receive it and to read it, but number three, we must research it. Now, there's a difference in reading your Bible, daily Bible reading, and studying your Bible. I know for years it was a seven-point system, and you could read a verse a day, and you could check that thing off, and everything was good. That was not even the principle, that the reason that started. That was started to help you study your Bible every day, not just read your Bible every day. Reading your Bible every day means to give a little time to it. I would encourage you that when you sit down with your Bible every day, have a pencil and, and paper close by, and when you read that verse... Ask some questions. How, what, when, where, 
Why? How? Who? And then rewrite that verse back to God. What does, what does this verse say to me? What does it mean to me? Then pray the verse back to God. I'd encourage you to have a study Bible. Or if you're a computer literate, get you a good computer software. There's no reason today that people cannot study God's Word. Research it. Find out what it's all about. I'll just say this as an aside. Too many people depend on their preacher to give them everything or their teacher to give them everything. And God wants to give you something privately. We have to read it. We have to receive it. We have to research it. Oh, I'm about to get on somebody's toes here. I must remember it. <laughs> yes, when I was a music director, the choir hated the big M word. You know what the big M word was, Johnny? Yeah, I figured you did. I figured you've heard it with this bunch. Memorize. Oh, Brother Jerry, I can't memorize a thing. Okay. What's your social security number? You know. What's your bank account number? You know. What's your favorite sports team? You don't have any problem remembering that. What's your schedule this coming year? Yep. What game are you going to? You already know. Don't tell me you we don't have a memory. The truth is we have selected memories which I know sometimes works well in a marriage. But the memory is like a muscle. Now, do not misunderstand me. I'm not telling all of us to try to go home and memorize an entire chapter. But as you read and study every day, there may be a verse there that really jumps out at you. You may read it on Sunday when you start. And before you internalize it, it's going to have to go into your heart because... Bible says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Just take a verse at a time. Take you a week and memorize it. Get it. Get you with a couple of people and say, let's memorize uh, a verse in Romans that means something. You see, the more we put it in our hearts, the more it will stay with us. But I must not just remember it. When I remembered, it helps me do this last part. I must reflect on it. Now, the Bible word for this is meditate. I hate to use the word meditate today because most people think meditation is this. Hum. Hum. And the truth is, what they tell us is that meditation is the clearing of the mind. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Meditation is not thinking about nothing. Meditation is focused thinking. When you put that verse in your heart and your mind and you sit down and go, Whoa, what did God really mean when he said this? Because remember, the Bible don't say what it means and it don't mean what it says. It means what it means. And a lot of times a cursory reading will not give you the meaning. You have to sit down and reflect on it, meditate on it. If the Word of God is to be our guidebook, we have to reflect on it. We have to assimilate the truths. That means we're going to have to receive it, hear it. We have to read it. May I just pause a second to say something about reading it? Do you realize how fortunate we are today? 
In the Old Testament days, everybody didn't have a copy of God's Word. Only the priest had a copy of God's Word and had to read it to the people. In foreign lands today, the copies of God's Word are not near as plentiful as they are here. Most of us have one or two or three Bibles laying around the house collecting dust. Understand the privilege of having God's Word in your house and and put it in your heart. If, if I am going to make the Bible my guidebook, I must admit my need, accept its authority, assimilate its truth, and number four, I must apply its principles. Too many people believe that once they've heard a message one time, once they've had a scripture read to them one time, once they've completed one Bible study, that they've applied it. That they've applied it. And just because you've heard it does not mean that we've internalized it. It does not mean it's now controlling our thoughts. It does not mean now that it's controlling our heart. It's controlling our action. Excuse me. It's controlling our relationships. When the Word of God is applied in our life, some things change. But I will tell you, the Word of God is indeed living. It is indeed effective. It is indeed sharper than any two-edged sword. It will indeed divide soul and spirit and joint and mirror. And it will judge the ideas and thoughts that we have. I want to just give you a couple of thoughts about applying its principles. First, let me share with you a couple of obstacles you will have a couple of obstacles. When you decide, now please hear me because I don't want you to think we bait and switch. When you determine in your heart that you want God's Word, the Bible, to be your guidebook, Satan, the enemy, is going to throw everything he can at you to get you off track. (laughs) You have never seen trouble because... Until you cross Satan. And when you cross him, remember, he has many weapons in his arsenal and he will hold nothing back to get you to change your mind. And the Bible tells us, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of this world. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God. Too many times we go off and we don't have the breastplate of righteousness on because we have sin in our lives. And so you know what? Satan's got a free shot right at your heart. We don't have the shield of faith with us because our faith is wavering. And so we can't deflect the fiery darts. Our feet are not shod with the preparation of of gospel. You know what I think of when I hear that term? I think of the first time I ran across our yard that I didn't know had stickers in it. That's exactly what it is. When your feet are not shod with the preparation of gospel, you will run through those briars. 
Second thing that I would suggest to you that's an obstacle, not only Satan, <laughs> it's self-deception. Self-deception. You say, Brother Jerry, are you just making this up? No, you need to go do a search about how many times the Bible speaks of don't be deceived. Deceive not yourself. Because self-deception is a big thing. We think we've got it taken care of. We think we're doing right. And we just kind of put God on the shelf. And you know what's happened to us? In that time, we are receiving the Word. In that time, we are receiving the Word. We are literally not ready to receive it. This self-deception will take its form in in this, if you'll let me kind of draw the analogy. Somebody has given you the Word like I am today. And we sit there and we think, oh, you know, man, this is good for... If they'd have been here, Brother Jerry, you'd have got them. I'm here, don't need it. So you just preach away and have a good old time. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the parable of the sower. And I want to ask you this. When the word is being given to you by a preacher, a teacher, a study leader, what kind of soil is your heart made of? Is it that calloused heart, like the pathway where the seed bounces off and the birds take it away? Is it that stony ground that we call the cluttered heart? There's just so much stuff of this world in it that there's no place for that seed to go. Is it the soil that has all the briars on it? And it chokes out the Word. Or is it that cultivated heart that you have kept through time with God soft enough, flexible enough that the Word can go in and take root? For the self-satisfied and the self-deceived person, three of those will be true. What's your heart like? You see on the screen, how does it operate? How does it operate to the, that I apply its principles? I'll make just a couple of suggestions to you. When you sit down with God's Word and you have that pencil and pad there and you begin to write out what it, means, what it says to you, what it means to you, decide what it means to you to do and write you out an action plan about how this can change your life. Make it personable, personal, make it practical, and even make it provable that you can see that you did it. I'm not talking about to somebody else unless you have an accountability partner. I'm talking about to yourself, before God. You see, it is only when we hold ourselves accountable that we'll do anything. And I want you to see finally the outcome. You know what comes, you know what the outcome is when the Bible becomes your guidebook? 
you become more like Jesus than you can imagine. People begin to call you Christian like they did those folks in Acts 11 because they see Jesus in you. The greatest way the Bible is our guidebook is it tells us the only way to God is through Jesus. Through a personal relationship with Him. Do you have that personal relationship? It's your starting point. If you don't, why not start it today? Pray together.